Hey guys, this is Brandon DeVere, and you're listening to the Learn For Two podcast. So here's the thing. After being in the real estate industry for over a decade, I realized the old model was broken. There was no way out, no end in sight. So I decided to ditch the masses and create my own opportunity. One that would put myself and others in a position to retire when we want to. This podcast is my journey to teach as many people as possible to do the same. My name is Brandon DeVere, and welcome to the Learn For Two podcast. Hey guys, uh, today's episode is a pretty serious one. It is the first part of a two-part episode. It is two episodes because it was a conversation that we kind of talked about beforehand uh, and we were going to do 20, 25 minutes, but um, it is a very serious topic. And right now I felt it was a good time to have this guest on. And honestly, I I wanted to have him on before, but even so now, even more so now uh, with kind of the climate that we have in our industry, in our world, uh, essentially, and there's going to be a lot of people facing some difficult times coming up. So I wanted to have him, someone who's been there before, been through it, and uh, really battled depression and has gotten into, um, gotten himself into a, a space where he's able to combat that depression and really uh, take himself out of those dark times. So wanted to share uh, his story with you, and maybe you can take a couple of nuggets away from him uh, of of how he's dealt with it. Uh, himself. Uh, his name is Scott Mendel uh, down in Texas. So just wanted to share his story. And uh, here's the interview right here. I will let you know right now, something happened with the audio where it's a little bit, sounds a little bit uh, echoey, but uh, just want to give you a heads up on that as you uh, as you listen to it. It sounds a little bit different than normal. So, all right, guys, enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to Learn for Two Podcast. This is Brandon DeVere and thank you as always for tuning in. I appreciate that and I appreciate you sharing your time with me. Uh, today, we are going to episode number three of the interview series of the Learn for Two podcast. And we have a very special guest with us, uh, one that I've been wanting to have on for a long time. And now uh, it really makes a lot of sense uh, because of uh, kind of the what, the things that are going on right now and how people are starting to feel a little bit, maybe, maybe down in the dumps a little bit. But uh, we are very lucky to have Mr. Scott Mandel here to explain to us some things about some, uh, you know, weight loss and, and depression and um, you know some subjects that we sometimes don't like to talk about. Uh, and uh, Scott, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to to hang out with us. How are you doing today? Absolutely, my pleasure. If I can help anyone, I'm happy to. Awesome, I love that. I love that. So we had a, a quick little little chat uh, beforehand, uh, and, and we'll get into some of the things that we talked about from that. But can you just give us a little bit of a backstory of you know where where you're at, um, you know what, how you got to the point you're at right now? Okay. Um, this started in the early 90s um, when I went through what I call my year from hell. Um, I lost almost everybody I cared about in my life in inside of a year. Um, my grandmother died, uh, followed, um, like a, and now she had, she had Alzheimer's and, and her death was more of a blessing than anything, but still a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but then my mother, um, four months, three months, three months later was told that she had, um, six months to live. She had breast cancer that had metastasized, um, lost her on December 11th. Um, four months later, my fiance started sleeping with my best friend. Um, a month after that, the dog I'd had for 15 years was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I lost him. Um, I was taking care of my mother's father, uh, I was the only one in the family that would go visit him in the home. 
And on one trip up, I was trying to transfer him between his wheelchair and a toilet. And I cracked three of his ribs. Um, a week after that, he started throwing um, mini strokes and a stroke finally hit him. Um, I was told by the doctor that the cracked ribs were the cause of the stroke that killed him. Um, in my mind, that meant that I had killed my grandfather. Um, it, it took me a while to, and, and while I did, uh, while it was my action that caused it, um, it wasn't really my fault, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Plus, he had lost his wife and his only daughter uh, right beforehand. Um, he was not happy. He was in a bad spot. Um, and I've become, over the years, I've become okay with that happening. Um, but then shortly after that, I lost my other grandfather. Um, my father had gone through everything that I'd gone through and had locked himself in, in his house, basically. Um, and, and so I was left with you know, two family members that I didn't speak to, one who was suffering as bad as I was, and everybody else in my life, my best friend, my girlfriend, my dog, um, my my mom, my grandparents, um, everybody was gone just in an instant. And it, it destroyed me mentally. Um, and actually, up until we started this group that we're in right now, this mastermind group that we've got, and we started exploring um, a lot of the ideas with this mental fitness that we're talking about, I hadn't considered PTSD as something that I had. But having gone through that trauma that I did, I look back now and understand that I definitely had PTSD. I had every symptom, every classic symptom of it. Um, and, and it has helped me understand a lot about the recurrences that I've had. Um, for the first six months um, after all that happened, um, I was basically a shut-in. Um, I couldn't go outside. I couldn't eat. Um, I could barely sleep. Um, <laughs> I tell people it hadn't been for the, the legend of Zelda, the original version on the, on the original Nintendo, um, I probably wouldn't have lived because I played that game like eight hours to 10 hours a day. Um, and, and it was the only thing that allowed my mind to quit thinking about death and loss and pain. Um, I mean, when you're in such a place that, You're, you're so hurt and so in, in such emotional pain that, that even the act of eating makes you sick. Um, you're, you're in a very, very, very dark spot. Um, I came very close to hanging myself um, one evening. Um, and the story of how I survived that is a whole nother um, topic that we can touch on it at some point, but um, I was saved by a young lady that, that I'd met once. Um, and that after she got me out of the house that day, I actually never saw her again. Uh, the weirdest thing. Um, but I like to tell people that, that once you've actually danced with death like that, that it never leaves you because depression, it, it, it physically alters the makeup of your brain. It alters the way the chemical receptors work inside of your brain. It actually, severe clinical depression shuts down parts of your brain. Um, and, and of course I learned all this as the years went by and, and 
like new techniques and new technologies came up where, um, you know, like a functional MRI was done on me and it literally showed the frontal lobe of my brain was dark. I mean, there was no activity. In it. And, and <laughs> you would think that would be a horribly depressing thing, but I, I walked out of there elated because I'd always been telling everybody that, that what I was feeling was like I was just turned off, like I was gone, like I wasn't awake anymore. And since the frontal lobe controls personality, that's really what had happened. My personality had been turned off. Um, and, and it was exciting to actually have physical proof of, of what was actually taking place. Um, and, and so when your brain gets jarred and, and, and turned and, and switched off and, and back on, it leaves scars. And, you know, while a lot of our scars are visual, you know, and you can brag about them. Oh, I got this when I got, you know, in a bar fight or, you know, I got that one sliding into third base or, you know, oh, I got this one because I almost died from appendicitis. The, the scars that you can't see are so much worse because there's no evidence externally to other people that you've suffered that trauma and they don't know whether it's real or imaginary or if there's something they can do about it. And so these scars that are still there affect you for the rest of your life. You're more susceptible to depression. You're more susceptible to um, a, a whole wide variety of medical conditions. Um, and a lot of people don't like to talk about this because they don't like to say that they have a, uh, they're suffering from mental disease. Um, but we are, and, and because it's such a shameful thing, that people don't talk about or they think it's shameful. Um, it, it's still, we still end up with school shootings. We still end up with people killing themselves. We still end up with, you know, murder and suicide. And, and, and it, it, if, if everybody were more okay talking about it and they had avenues to talk with other people that understood without a clinical setting or, the stigma attached to it, I think a lot of things that happen today will cease happening in the future. Um, and that's why I talk about it is because I want to be able to let others know that you're not alone. I have gone through this. I may have gone through something worse than you did. And if I'm sitting here today healthy, then you can be too. It, it, it's not going to be easy. It's going to suck as a matter of fact, but you can do it. I promise you can do it. Um, and so I've been up and down. I mean, I've been close to suicide three times in my life. Um, the last time was only two years ago. I had um, started getting healthy again. Um, I'd started walking or running uh, six miles a day. That was my go-to thing because I really enjoyed it. Um, and I got injured and it was about two months in when I got injured. And in my mind, it was like, God said, you're screwed. You don't need to be doing this. Stop doing this. This is not good for you. And I quit. I quit myself. I quit my life. I quit caring. I didn't, I was like, well, if I'm going to be fat, I'm going to be fat. And I, <laughs> I dove off the deep end 
of a Bakken alien food orgy. Um, if it had sugar in it, if it had carbs in it, I consumed it. And I gained, I gained something like 30 to 45 pounds in six months. Um, went from like 225, maybe even 50 pounds, 225, 230 to I think my, my highest weight was like 275, 277. Um, and, and I was in horrible physical condition. Um, and those thoughts were invading my mind again. And it was about that point in time where Ryan had, had come up with the idea of IODs, mm -hmm. impact of the day writings. Um, and, and I really didn't have a clue, um, what I was going to write about, why I was writing. It was just like, you know, he challenged us to do it. So, Hey, if Ryan said, do it, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that opened the door to an avenue that I'd never been down before. I'd never written about what had happened. And, and I'd really only told the whole story to maybe, I don't know, 15 to 20 people in my entire life. Um, but you know how special this group is that we're in. Mm -hmm. um, I told probably three people inside the group, my closest friends inside the group, um, about my year from hell. And every one of them was like, oh my God, you've got to tell your story. You have got to tell your story. There are other people that, and I was like everybody else you know, man, I did not want to share this publicly because it was going to label me because people were going to treat me differently because, you know, oh my God, he's been suicidal. We need to be so careful around him. No, you don't. In fact, that pisses me off more than anything. I'm a normal human being. Yes. I almost killed myself. I'm all right with that. I've been through it. I've lived through it. I mean, you know, how many times have, have you gone out and, and, and participated in drunk driving? You know, if you've done it, then you've tried to kill yourself at least once. You just won't acknowledge that that's what you did. And so I decided that with the encouragement of these folks that I was going to tell it publicly for the first time ever. And the response was unreal. Um, there was no um, labeling. There was no, I'm not even sure what the word to use is there. Judgment. Yeah, no judgment. Thank you. There was no judgment on me at all. Everybody was like, oh my God, I can't believe you survived that. Man, if I'd gone through that, I probably would have killed myself. That's unbelievable. And people look more at the reasons that I, that I got to that point rather than the actual thought of doing it. Mm -hmm. They were understanding that it drove me to there. And with that understanding came a lot of relief. You know, because I wasn't hiding anymore. I didn't have to wear the mask anymore. And that mask is heavy, yeah. heavy, heavy, heavy to wear. When you have to go through your daily life knowing that this affects you and that you deal with it constantly and you have to hide that from other people and you have to act differently around them because you don't want them to know you thought about suicide or tried it or that you are depressed and, and, that's the worst thing with depression is everybody wants to hide it from people that care about them. Um, it, it's just how it works because when you get depressed, you want to be alone. You want to be left alone. You, you don't want people telling you you're going to be okay. You want that demon inside of you wants to pull you away from 
you know, everything that might help you recover. Um, and so by writing and, and getting it out there and telling that story, it, it kind of broke that hold that that demon had had on me for so long. It was now out there. It was public. Everybody knew about it. Um, and, and everybody understood. And so it was, it was, it, it kind of lifted a little bit off of my soul. And so I started writing and, and you know, the way Ryan does the IODs, it's mind, body, business, relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And so finally one of them came up that was body. And, and I, I was like, Oh my God, I've got to, uh, how am I going to write about body? I mean, I, I've got a C cup man tits and I've never had them before <laughs> in my life. And, and I didn't really realize at that point until, have you seen my before and after pictures? Well, I just saw one um, on Facebook recently. It looks like one, you might be at work and the other one, you got like the ladder, the, um, like at the yes. gym. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. the one, I wasn't at work. I was actually doing a volunteer day. This was a month after I'd started working out. I was volunteering at the Houston food bank and I happened to be streaming it live on Facebook. And it's the only photo you will find of me at my close to my, high weight because I avoided cameras like the play. Um, and so I looked at that photo when, when Ryan asked us to post them, I'd never even looked at it. And I saw it and I was like, Oh my God, I had no idea I'd gotten that big that I looked like I was 11 months pregnant with triplets. <laughs> and, and that first body IOD, I was like, Oh my God, you know, I've got to write about working out but I'm not working out, but maybe I should. And so I wrote that. And then I wrote one about trying to find a diet. And sure enough, in July, after I'd written a, like four body IODs that were talking about working out, it was like, okay, uh, I've got to do this. So the, the diet, and I, I researched diets for a month before I got into it. The diet started and the, the exercise started in earnest. And, and in three months, I'd lost 50 pounds. And Incredible. What, what, what I love about this is Ryan saw the transformation in me mm -hmm. and I was the catalyst behind story athlete. Oh, really? I didn't know yes. that. That's awesome. Yeah. He, he saw the transformation and you know how his brain works. Mm -hmm. He said, how can we get everybody in the group to realize that transformation? And, and it, it was amazing to think that, that, you know, why he didn't reach out to me about any of it. He saw and, and, and bragged about my weight loss. And then the next thing you know, what, nine months later, we've got story athlete. And, and I was like, God, this is, this is awesome. But now I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the, the greatest combination inside that, that I've discovered, and this has been, let's see if it was June 1st of, 18 we're coming up on almost two years now um 20 months i guess and 20 april may june 21 months um in those 20 months i've discovered the absolute secret to defeating depression permanently wow and it's it's yes you you got to get the weight under control because body image, I don't care about all this body shaming nonsense that's going on, this political correctness that you can't call people fat and unhealthy. And it's okay if you wear a size 16. No, it's not. You're sick. 
you're dying very slowly. You are committing suicide by food. And, and it needs to stop. And when you are heavy, I don't care who you are. You know you're overweight. You feel overweight. Your clothes don't fit right. You, you can't walk up two flights of stairs without stopping halfway. And I'm not talking, you know, 10 or 20 pounds overweight. I'm talking 50 to 100 to 200 pounds overweight. Mm. Um, I, I mean, you know, look at that. What is that TV show about being overweight? Um, uh, Biggest Loser? I, well, that one and, and um, uh, My 600-Pound Life. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I don't um, think I've seen I've heard of it. I don't think I've seen it before. And, and The Biggest Loser is a great one because if you look at those people, look at their transformation and look at the way they act at the beginning mm-hmm. and then when they've lost 50 pounds or 100 pounds, they're, they're in tears because they feel so much better. And what's funny is that first 50 pounds that I lost, everybody's like, oh, my God, you must feel so much better. And I didn't. I didn't feel better at all because although I lost 50 pounds, I'm still 50 pounds overweight. And that's a lot of weight over, I mean, you're still in the clinically obese cat, or, or the, I'm sorry, they call it morbidly obese category because morbidly obese is 50, is 40 pounds overweight or more. And so when, when you're there, I mean, yeah, you've lost some weight, but you're still really, really over. I mean, I'm still overweight now and I've lost a hundred pounds of pure fat. And so Congratulations. It, it's, oh, thank you. And yeah, it's been a journey. You've been there for most of it. <laughs> um, but when you aren't happy with the way you look, you can't be happy mentally. I mean, you can't. And so um, it, it's one of those where getting the, and that was my 82-year-old father that I take care of, just walked out and wanted to say <laughs> something, right. wave him off. Um, <laughs> You, you, have to, you have to get yourself back physically first because that's such a key to self-image and self-esteem. And, and I think it was Mark Brody that wrote the post about respect and, and not only your respect for others, but respect for yourself. And you can't respect others until you respect yourself. And I'd never thought about that, but it makes, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you can't love others until you love yourself. Right. No. And I thought, my God, that really, that really makes sense. Because if you can't love somebody, unless you love yourself, truly love somebody, then how can you respect somebody if you don't have any respect for yourself? And how can you respect yourself if you know you're killing yourself? And, and it, 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 it all ties in with, self-image and once you start getting that back and I'm, I'm telling you this this journey from 275 pounds to I'm like 205 now um and and I say I've lost 100 pounds of pure fat because I watch my the the body fat percentage and the muscle percentage and I've put on like 29 32 pounds of pure muscle wow um and so my my overall weight loss if you take the muscle out of the the effective well is like 110 pounds um but <laughs> you know ryan asked us the other day what our biggest physical change had been through grit and and what we noticed and i said well <laughs> and this is kind of funny but it's that the sleeves on my story athlete t-shirt actually are tight on my arms 
<laughs> rather than hanging there loose and baggy like they used to. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's funny because I always make fun of people that that you know walk around and flex, and yeah, show off. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm looking at myself in the mirror every now and then, going, "Yeah, look at that. That's that's a, yeah." <laughs> and then I catch myself I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm turning into one of those guys." Um, that's awesome. But when you get that, then then the mental side starts to come together once you get the weight together, and once the mental side starts coming together, you've got two-thirds of the battle over and the real secret isn't about teaching yourself better self-talk it's not about losing weight and exercising it's not about drugs or therapy it's about putting two things together that create something that i never even thought of and that's writing every single day because it lets you see not only your progress, but it lets you see your emotional state. It lets you explore things that you might not be able to explore inside your own head. Um, and it allows you to do the one thing that is the biggest secret of all, and that's build a tribe that supports you. The key to getting through all of this, even, even when I started before Story Athlete and Grit came around, the key was having this group of y'all. My, my mastermind story, and we weren't story athletes, then we were um, PS, um, protector social superheroes. Uh, PSS. 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 <laughs> but I had those friends that were the ones that encouraged me to, you know, mentally vomit all this stuff on the pages. Um, and if you go back on my Facebook, there's over a year's worth of writing on there that was every single day. Um, and so, the tribe, the, the support, the love, the constant encouragement that came from that is what gave me the edge to keep going and not rebound. Because fighting depression is a lot like dieting. Without the story athlete, without the writing daily, without you know putting it out publicly, I, oh, my entire life I did the same thing that everybody else does. I would diet and then I'd get fat. I would diet and I would get fat. It's the yo-yo, right? Mm-hmm. Depression is the exact same thing. You may, you may defeat it, but you're going to hang down here and then you're, it's going to come back. It, there's some event that's going to happen that's going to make it recur. And when you, when you don't have a support system, there's a squirrel over here <laughs> having fun in, in a kumquat tree. He's dropping them all over everywhere. Um, When you don't have the support network to fall back on when things start getting rough again, that demon is going to latch onto you and start talking to you again and start pulling you away from those people that will support you. And you're more than willing to do it because you don't know how to fight. And that's one of the things we've all discovered is, and, and Ryan calls it the lesser self. I call it the demon or the wimpy self. It's that voice inside of you that that is hurtful to who you are, to the one that keeps you from becoming, you know, your best version of yourself. Um, and when you don't have the tools and you don't have the tribe and you don't have the support, that voice is very, very loud. Every single one of us has written 
about that voice and how loud it can get. And we've got people in here that have been, you know, part of this tribe for years and are still falling victim to it. Um, Carmela just the other day wrote that her voice won again. Um, and, and sometimes for some of us, it takes, you know, a long time to recover. Like I've been going through depression recovery for, I mean, since 1993 and only this year, well, not 2020, but let's say the last 21 months, mm-hmm. have I really figured out how to get beyond it. And if anybody listening to this needs help, first thing you do is reach out to people that love you. Start writing, start building your tribe. And if it's really, really bad, go get professional help. Because I can, I can tell you how I got through it, but I'm what they call a clean depressive. Um, and, and by that, that means there are no underlying conditions. There's no um, psychosis or psychopathy. There's no, um, um, oh my God, uh, lithium imbalance. There's no, there's no chemical imbalance in the brain, period. Mm-hmm. There's no PTSD that might be underlying it. There's no um, traumatic brain injury that might be underlying it. Because those things need medication. ADD, um, um, adult, you know, ADD. Mm-hmm. Uh, medication, like if you've got a lithium imbalance and you're bipolar, you have to be on medication. I had an uncle that was bipolar. Um, as soon as he got on medication, he was fine. And now, does he like being on it? Not particularly, but that's all another story. But when you're a clean depressive, you can beat it by just working through it like I'm relaying, writing, try, exercise, good diet. And that doesn't mean, yes, if you really want to lose weight, you got to give up sugar. But, you know, sugar makes you feel good. Chocolate makes you feel good. So every now and then, fine. Go have a crazy day and indulge. Make yourself feel good. We all need it every now and then. But understand that most of the time you need to give yourself good food to power that structure that you're trying to rebuild. And so that's why I do this. Is, and, and that's why I started writing. And that's why I share this experience. Um, is because I don't want people to suffer as much as I have for as long as I have. Um, and you mentioned... Uh, <clears throat> Um, talking about people that that are, aren't depressed but have a loved one or a friend or somebody they know that is and how to yeah, handle yeah. that. Yeah, can we, can we do that in just a second? I just want to touch on a couple of things that you said yeah, um, early, earlier. Um, and just to kind of give not necessarily a blueprint for people that may be, may be suffering, but certain things like um, what I found interesting as far as, as exercise. I know you said that you like to walk and things like that. But things that um, people may not think of as exercise, maybe someone doesn't go to the gym or has never really been, you know, didn't really like PE, didn't do anything pretty much their whole life exercise yeah. wise. Um, yeah. And they don't know. And they think that it's, it's exercise is just going to the gym. Um, what I found fascinating is that you, you lost a lot of, a lot of weight with jump ropes, right? With weighted jump ropes. I did. Yeah. And, and that, that isn't, that's not something that pops to the top of my head when I think of, of working out. Right. But, I can tell you, it didn't pop to the top of mine either. <laughs> but <laughs> but that, was pure, that was a pure accident that, that yeah. I got into that. Yeah, so, so my, my point is um, when for people to start exercising and start getting to feel good, it doesn't mean they need to run a mile today. 
If they haven't oh, no. run a mile in 15 years, go walk around the no. block today or yeah, walk a block. Toss Absolutely. a football up to yourself or, or you know, drill the basketball around the block or just something or like go that. Go play catch with your kid. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you got children, go play catch with your kid. I guarantee you they'll wear you out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it, 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 go play hide and seek with them. You think that's not exercise? Go play hide and seek for an hour. <laughs> you know, yeah, just go keep up with your kid for an hour. Yeah. That'll, that'll wear you out. I mean, oh, yeah. it's like, you know, Fat Ryan said is <laughs> – one of the reasons he wanted to get rid of the dad bod was he was telling these kids he wouldn't go out and play with them. And he made a million excuses, but he knew it was because it was going to make him tired. <laughs> and, and so, yes, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I started off that jump rope thing because I had gotten injured and what I had was it's called metatarsalgia. Um, and it's an inflammation on your foot of one of the knuckles. And, and <laughs> I thought I'd actually torn a tendon in my foot that's how painful it was and i went to the to the orthopedic surgeon the very next day and said oh my god i i really wrecked my foot and he said oh here touch does this hurt yeah dang it don't do that again and he touched several other places and he goes oh no you got metatarsalgia i was like what i mean i've got a biomedical science degree i know most of the terminology and i've never heard of this he goes yeah he goes you've been exercising recently haven't you and i was like yes he goes a lot and i said yeah i'm trying to lose weight he goes yeah it's caused by being overweight and over exercising i was like oh great and that's <laughs> when when i came to the conclusion that god didn't want me to work out anymore um so when i came back into it i was like what am i going to do my foot because the doctor told me that i had to be off of it for six months for it to heal and that, i'm sorry that's never going to happen not in my life you're going to have to break my leg for me to stay off my foot um and so I was like, what in the world can I possibly do? And after I wrote that body IOD that said, I'm going to start working out, um, I was going to go outside and get through it. I didn't care how, I didn't care how much it hurt. I was going to, to figure out something. <laughs> I was walking down my staircase and at the bottom, tied around the, the baluster head was an old Joe Weider jump rope. You know, the old cotton rope with the squishy foam yeah. handles. <laughs> it had been hanging there for so long unused, the handles were crispy. But I thought, hey, I used to jump rope as a kid. At least this will give me something to warm up and maybe it won't hurt my foot. So my decision was to go out and just do 50 times in a row without stopping. Well, I found out that I couldn't do 10 in a row without tripping on the rope. When, <laughs> you know, as a kid, you can jump rope for an hour and it doesn't even bother you. That night, it took me two and a half hours to get 50 in a row. I was sweating so hard when I stopped, it was literally pouring off of me in puddles. My calves were cramped up. My, my abs were cramped up. Um, my, I, every part of me hurt. And I was like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. And so that was my deal. It was like, okay, if this is going to be this hard to work out and it doesn't hurt my foot, that's how I'm going to do it. And being myself, I deep dived jump rope on the web and found out it's the most effective workout, calorie burning, low impact workout you can do, period. It burns more calories than running, swimming, tennis, aerobics, everything. It burns more calories, period. And I guarantee you get a half pound jump rope and try doing it for 15 minutes without stopping, you will pass out. <laughs> and it did. In fifth, in, with the keto diet and nothing more than jumping rope once or twice a week for three months, I dropped 50 pounds. Wow. Instantly. And so 
Yeah, I mean, go find anything you can do, anything. Just start moving because once you start moving, it's that momentum. It's that one, like we talk about, that 1% daily that it gives you that, that, that sense of accomplishment. And as soon as you get that momentum built, it's much easier to keep it going because the hardest thing in the world is to break the friction of being at a stop. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, no, it's great Anything advice because it's, because I know that, that people will, well, I'm going to go, I go get a gym membership or like right, right now, I think in, in our, our climate that we're, we're in, in the world right now where everyone is having to do their normal stuff at home. I think people yeah. are, are, are starting to realize a little bit more that, you know what, and I'm not trying to take away from any gyms out there. So any, any gym owners, I'm not trying to say that uh, people shouldn't go to you. But what I'm saying is that, you know, you can, you can go get enough of a workout in, in your backyard or around your block or, or whatever, you know, in your, oh pick up God. your dog food bag 10 times and squat them or something. Yeah. What's that? Huh. I said, yeah, go do one of our grit workouts. It's all body weight. You'll find out real quick. Yeah, how fast yeah. you can get a workout at the house. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the other thing I wanted to talk, uh, touch on before we move on to the uh, the other question was sure. um, the how how much writing has helped and and having that tribe. And one of the one of the things that I've found, and uh, being having the stigma and and trying to shed that. So about four four or five months ago. Um, I, I wasn't sharing as much. I was still sharing some things, but there was things I was holding back um, for the stigma. For instance, uh, my son is battling some pretty significant, significant um, anticipatory anxiety uh, when yep. it comes to getting to school. And so it's been, it's been four months, obviously they're not in school now, but we were just getting back to a half day of school. And this is after four months of trying to get him there. Something I wasn't gonna share with anybody because um, I, I, I felt like a failure that I was a, I was a dad that couldn't get his kid to school. Uh, so, so I had that stigma, but then also same thing. I peeled back a little bit. And like you said, you know, someone else is going to need to hear this because they're going to need, they're going to need to move forward. And one of the things that I found by opening up like that, not only just it being cathartic from the writing standpoint to get it out and your progress, but the tribe that was not necessarily even my tribe that became my tribe, uh, of people that are start rooting for you. And yes. rooting for your on on Facebook, I got people going, way to go, way to go, Camden. Like my son made it to 15 minutes of school, and that was a huge deal for us. And everyone yeah. is rooting him on. And it's, you know, when when you do that and you let people, you know, Ryan says all the time, if you if you go first, you give people permission to go. And some some people are just waiting, waiting for you to go first so that they can go. And so I just wanted to to talk about that. I mean, I, have you had a bunch of people? start rooting for you like come out of kind of nowhere and just be like hey we're we got we're right behind you yeah it's 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 actually really funny because while a lot of people might not respond to a facebook post or they might not press like (laughs) you'll run into them somewhere and they're like oh my god i've read all your stuff um i had a client that that i'm friends with their family i've known them for years um the dude's in phenomenal shape. He's a triathlete. Uh, his wife um, took up bodybuilding for a while. She's into roller derby. I mean, hyper fit family, right? Um, and I used to play tennis with him before I got huge. Um, and just the other day, and, and he hasn't said anything. He hasn't liked any of my posts or anything like that. But he reached out to me about um, wanting to know the value of his, his house currently with a new addition that he put onto it. And 
the very first thing he said in this text was, man, I, I just want you to know I've been following your, your weight loss journey online, and it's amazing what you've done. I can't wait until we can start playing tennis again. And awesome. I, I didn't even know he was reading my stuff. But mm -hmm. that's the thing is, is when you put it out there in a public forum like that, you are going to reach a lot more people than you think you are reaching. Mm -hmm. um, I found out that one of my friend's moms <laughs> reads my stuff and she's, she's 78 years old, I think. And, and the way I found out was my friend called me and she said, I can't believe you use the F word in your post. I was like, why can't you believe that? She goes, Oh my God, no, my mom reads your stuff. And she was mortified. She said, she didn't know you were that type of guy. <laughs> <laughs> So you never know who's reading your stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've had people approach me at, uh, I tell me that they made their, their son read it um, at, at the soccer field. Hey, you know, yeah. obviously the, they're, they're, me and their son aren't friends, but, you know, the, I've had people text me, I, I wish that I could share that, you know, and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's definitely awesome in, in that way. And you do get people to, to root for you, and, and you never know. You know, obviously uh, Cliff has his path to one million. He was actually yeah. uh, interviewed on here. And I, I joked with him and kind of sort of joking about it being, it should be path to 100 million because I'm, I'm telling him he'll never know the amount of people that he's impacted. He never will yeah, because, absolutely. It, because it's not just the people that listen, it's the people that impact. I mean, it's, it's just exponential impact all, all over. To use a very current term, it's really like a virus. It is viral yeah. because <laughs> that one person might share it with two other people who mm -hmm. might share it with, you know, what was that old commercial, you know, you tell two people and they'll tell two people and they'll tell two people and they'll tell two people. Yeah. And, and that's what it's like because you never know the impact that you can, you can have. Like when Mark Brody reached out to me about his friend mm -hmm. that he was very concerned about. Um, next thing you know, he's got three friends that he's using my advice with. Mm -hmm. And I, I know for a fact that one of them has gotten through their, their problems. Oh, and I'm awesome. sure that they'll share that with other people. Ryan is constantly referring me to, to people in our group that are really depressed and, and I try and help them. And in turn, they're helping other people in the group. Um, and, and yeah, it's a domino effect. You, know, you tap that first one, you and I are the first one in line. As soon as we fall, it, it runs. And, and it's, it's a great thing. And I really don't care if I ever know um, however many people I reach. Uh, I, I'm, I'm I know that personally I've saved three lives so far. Um, and as long as these lives are saved, that's all I care about. I, I don't need the acknowledgement. Um, it, it, it feels good to get the acknowledgement. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong, but it, it's not a necessary thing. This was, and, and I tell Ryan this all the time, and I've, I've told several other people in the group, it, this is more about my recovery than it is about my helping other people. And, and through my recovery, if I do help other people, that's awesome. And at some point, I will write a book about it um, and actually try to help other people. But I need to know that I've actually accomplished what I want to accomplish, mm -hmm. that, that this is something that I have permanently defeated, that these steps actually are the way to redemption. Um, and so Ryan talks about, you know, get it out there before it's perfect. But in this case, it won't be perfect even at that point, but I'll have that foundation. I am redeemed. I'm cured. Mm -hmm. I'm done with 
depression and you can be too. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's our whole purpose is, is, you know, trying to, to help others get through what we're going through. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's as simple as just, uh, just sharing. So, I mean, that's, that, that's awesome that you're, that you're willing to share. I've talked to a number of people that, um, you know, they're, they fight that stigma and they don't want to, don't want to, um, say anything. They want to help people, but they don't really want to make themselves look, <clears throat> look less. And, you know, totally understandable because it's a, it's not just a view that they're holding. It's a view that other people, um, hold of, you know, weakness as well. So right. definitely, definitely understand that. That's it for today's episode, but we will be back tomorrow with part two of Scott's story. Hey, thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe and please leave a comment. If you'd like your free copy of four ways to leverage your existing real estate business or to apply to join my team, go to the retired real estate agent.com for your free growth path.